Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome to our podcast. Hi, I am Sue Reber, and today I am going to be talking with Bill Hickey from Exalta about the journey that he made shifting from traditional instructional design to five moments design. Hi, Bill. Welcome. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me. Would you be willing to share with us a little bit about your background just to get us started? Sure, happy to. I've been involved in the education realm since about 1985. I was a high school teacher in Philadelphia, and I've uh, teaching for a few years, had an opportunity to make a shift to the corporate world, did that and earned a master's degree in training and organization development, came to work for the DuPont company in our paint division, and have been part of that division pretty much ever since. Exalta is the former DuPont Performance Coatings. We are now a standalone global coatings enterprise. How you know us mostly is through automotive finishes and automotive refinish. So lots of years on the education side, starting from school teaching now into corporate training, design, development, etc. We've talked before about how similar our backgrounds are coming from That's, the world of teaching. Yeah. Some might say we've sold our souls to the corporate devil, but I don't <laughs> I believe that. It was certainly a good move for me and my family and has led me down to adventures that I never thought I would have seen. Yeah, it's kind of fun when you let when you take that trip, isn't it? <laughs> it, it? It is, especially when so many of the folks that you encounter on the corporate side, your background and experience is, is unique. Most folks are coming from very specific academic and career experiences in sales or marketing or engineering or chemistry or, or whatever. And coming in with a, an, an education background really did create a niche that was special. So it also means you look at things a bit differently. And when we talk about challenges and light bulbs, that'll come out too a little bit. But it's been fun coming from a, a little bit of a different point of view. That's been part of the joy here. I think it's kind of interesting. People get wrapped up in you need to know the technology in order to write training. And I remember at my first interview for my first instructional design job, they asked me what I would need to know. It was a job for a company called Logical Operations writing computer training. And I said, well, I would have to learn computers. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I walked out of there thinking they're never going to hire me. <laughs> right. But it's that education background that's really so critical. Sure. And that really has extended into more recently as we look at five moments design. It's understanding how to ask the questions that are going to get you at what is most critical to successfully perform a job. So I truthfully think coming from the sorts of backgrounds, you know, you and I both came from liberal arts education backgrounds. It's the ability to question. It's the ability to ask why. It's the ability to dig to that next level. That actually is a tremendous benefit in this type of role. I totally agree. So you started out as a high school history teacher. 
Correct. Then you got your degree in instructional design. Mm -hmm. And that was traditional instructional design because back then it was Dick and Carrie and Gagne and Oh yeah, very much. Um back then is is really <laughs> is really what it is now as I look back. It really is quite a while ago that this happened. Very much a traditional kind of background and very solid. Mm-hmm. Not criticizing that traditional background. It really has served well. But it was very much focused on the learning. How do we write the appropriate objectives? How do we make sure all the multiple choice questions have the appropriate plausible distractors in them? How do we make sure the design of our performance evaluations is very oriented to the lesson at hand? So good experiences, great background to have. But as I continued to progress in my career and and as business challenges started to come faster and faster, you started to see, wait a minute, this doesn't really quite get us exactly where we need to be. It's good. It's, it's addressing some things, but it's not really getting us where the business needs us to be and, frankly, where our learners need us to be. So talk about that, because in your experience, in your world, the trainers were training people and they were going back on the job and what was happening. Exactly. Most of what what I have done in my career and and most of what the groups that I've supported throughout my career were focusing on end users of product. And so they might spend uh, two, three, four days with those students in a very traditionally designed learning event. And at the end of that event, we would have our level one reaction forms completed and folks would tell us how wonderful it was and We had our tests at the end, the knowledge assessments, and everyone scoring 85 and above on the knowledge assessments, and we'd have a performance evaluation. We could watch people do the job they had been trained on, and sure enough, they could get that done at our location. We would bring them into our training centers, and then they'd go back onto the job, and it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be six months later. We would hear that, oh, yeah, by the way, that person that you trained and you can feel the finger pointing at you as, as <laughs> that gets said, that person you trained doesn't know what they're doing. And you, you sit back and say, wait a second, you pulled open the file cabinet, you pulled out the class they were in and you looked and sure enough, they passed the test. They did the, the tasks. They said it was great, but it turns out nothing was really transferring from our learning events back to the workplace and it wasn't being sustained over time. So where we really started to see, and I most especially started to see, if we can't connect what we're doing to actual performance on the job, we've got an issue now. And as the business climates became more and more intense, it became pretty obvious to me that if if we can't fix this post-training performance thing, we're not going to be around very long. So how do we start to get at that became became my real concern. Now, this is moving from the early 90s when doing what we were doing was fine up in even till 2000, 2005, where, okay, you know, we're getting by. We're doing okay. We're training more folks this year than last. We ran more classes this year than last. But then we have this nagging, yeah, but what are they actually able to do and what are they actually able to sustain? That became more and more of a question. So it led me to a point where I was really starting to look around saying there's got to be something other here. Not that what we had was wrong. It just wasn't getting us to where we had to be. So when did you find that other that you were, I guess I should start by saying, did you find that other that you were looking for? (laughs) Interestingly enough, I had the opportunity to visit 
at Learning 2009, so we're, we're going back a few years now, had a, almost a chance opportunity to attend there. So I got to the session and I was paging through the event guide for that. And I came across this thing called, uh, I think we were calling it Performance Support 101. And it was presented by a couple of guys uh, you may have heard of, uh, Con Godfordson and Bob Mosher. And uh, I said, hey, wait a second. As I read this write-up, it was pretty much saying, you know, yeah, you ran a great event. The people loved it. And they went back on the job and they didn't know what they were doing. How do you solve this? And I said, I got to go see these. So, So I met Con and Bob at Learning 2009. And as we began to understand, here is what we're beginning to look at, these five moments of need. It's not just at the moments of new and more, because we were already building those. What happens after? What happens at that moment of apply? What happens when things change? What happens when problems arise? And that's when I said, that's the whole gap. We've got to get after this gap. So it was then that sort of the light bulb went off and the, the process began, the conversations began that said, how can we begin to transform what had been traditionally done, traditionally designed, how do we begin to move that into a new and different space? Uh, what are the technologies we need? What are the design principles we have to have? And how quickly can we start to turn this around? And that's, too, where also uh, a lot of the challenges started to emerge. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Share a little about that. What were the challenges? Well, several. And one was personal. I attend this event. The, the light bulb goes off for me, the the sense of this is what we need and this is how we need to approach it. And I, of course, want to flip everything right away. So let, let's go back. Let's change everything we're doing. Let's modify everything about our design approach, our instructional delivery. Let's start to look at systems and things that'll work. So my own lack of patience was certainly one of the challenges. I wanted it all yesterday and it, that just wasn't going to happen. Organizational challenges. Certainly, we we had an instructional staff, technical instructional staff, who were very good at what they did, and were viewed as being experts in what they did. And and now here comes this instructional design knucklehead coming in and telling them that it's got to be different, because they're the ones reading the reaction forms. They're the ones looking at the tests. They're the ones who had watched the performance evaluation. They're saying, wait a minute, everything's right. It was me trying to say, no, we we need to change the way we do things. So internally, our instructional staff needed to think differently about this. And then organizationally as well, that as we began to look at how would we do this, getting our entire organization to think differently about what a training function could really do for that training function to not only have responsibility for sort of these one-off classroom experiences, but instead for that training organization to take responsibility for this full life cycle of the learner from the first time they're introduced to our products, how do we take that and move that into transfer to the workplace and then sustained over time where our relationship with that learner is not measured in the hours that they might be in a class, but really over the lifetime of their experience with us. So getting the whole organization to begin to think about us differently at a time, truthfully, we were transitioning as we were we were actually our division was being sold at that time. So so a lot of those sorts of things that really tested our ability to persevere through many different challenges until ultimately we could find a spot where we could find a, a willing partner who could grasp what it was that we were thinking about doing and then be willing to, to walk down a path with us as we 
tried to do our first proof of concept. I was just going to ask you about that. So what did happen to help make that shift? So it was coming up with finding someone who was willing to take the journey with you on the business side? Absolutely. And it was, again, a sort of a chance happenstance. We were working with one of our functional groups who had responsibility for uh, getting color formulas out to customers. When you're painting things, obviously, you're painting them based on a color formula. So how do we communicate that formula to the users of our products? And the folks who were responsible for that were having sort of a similar struggle as to, to what we had. Uh, they had a lot of great tools that folks could use. They knew those tools worked well, but all they'd ever hear back from the customer was, your, you know, your stuff doesn't work. I can't match the colors I need. Well, wait a minute. We know you can because <laughs> here it is. We know, but why can't you do it? So sort of similarly that they could show folks something, but when those folks actually then went and tried to apply it, they couldn't get it done. So here we were on the training side. Here here I was on the design side saying, hey, I got to get at that thing out there called performance. And now I had someone inside, subject matter experts inside saying, hey, we got to get at that performance. Maybe we could link this up. And that's what we did. So having that opportunity and inviting uh, Con Godfordson in at that point to say, hey, can you help us do some you know, rapid workflow analysis? Can we begin to look at what, what are the critical impact skills things that we need here? Can we put together a plan that will say, here's how we can clarify what it is you need to instruct on, and then here's the support pieces that we can then make sure you have in place. So not only can the learner do what they need to do, but then over time, know what they need to know and sustain that for the long run. So that's actually, Sue, when you and I got our first chance to work together. Yeah. And we created something called Color Coach, which became an embedded performance support solution for our primary color formula retrieval system. And how was that different? You just mentioned I was there with you on that journey. How was that different from what you had done in the past with training? Sort of the uh, the classical mistake. We looked at the system as it existed and said, boy, what do you need to know in order to use this? And of course, the answer was, well, you need to know everything. And you talk to subject matter experts. And before you knew it, you were down so many different rabbit holes that what should have been able to be conveyed in 10 minutes took 10 hours. So the traditional flaw that we had was we were focusing on the learning first. You need to know all this stuff before you really can go and use the system. What we were able to do with creating Color Coach was we're going to flip that. Here's what you need to do. And as you do this, here are the things that are going to support what you're doing. And then over time, a lot of that knowledge stuff that would take up so much of those classroom hours, that we were able to provide as resources and reference materials within an embedded solution and get people back on the job using the system focused exclusively on what they needed to do versus looking at the entire system, which, by the way, is a pretty amazing. I mean, you can... launch the space shuttle sort of imagery. I mean, there's so much you could do in the system. Trying to teach someone, hey, you can do everything when really all they wanted to do was this little thing over here. So why don't we focus them on the one thing they need to do or the series of things they need to do, the process, the tasks, the steps of what they need to do. And then if they need to to go and, and learn more, we have ways of providing that as opposed to the information dump 
that was sort of our traditional model. So very much a, a change on how we went about content creation for that, and then very focused on what the learner needed to do. What was the performance first issues? Let's get those down and then move from there. We can add things as, as needed going forward. So I want to bring you back to that initial rapid workflow analysis. And at that analysis, what we came up with was, I think, a really complicated process. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because that was what initially came out as everybody was talking through everything. And then as we got in and started to actually build the performance support, we pared that right down and we said, you know what, it's not really this big complicated process. It's a really simple process. I think we had a three process workflow yes. that you do differently based on how you are getting to that, whether you're using this software or that, this version of the soft camera or that version or. Sure, sure. We used to teach, uh, you know, there are five different ways that you can retrieve color formulas. Well, the reality is any one user used one or maybe one and a half of those ways. What this allowed us to do as we began to kind of clear all the noise away from it and look specifically at if you use this technology, here are the three things you need to do before you're ready to go apply the paint product you've now mixed. It's not 50 things. It's three when you cleared away all that other activity. So we were able to identify very clearly, okay, if you use this technology, you'd use these three. If you use this technology, you're doing these three. This technology is these three. And then what we came to find is actually, it really wasn't three separate ones each time. There was only one thing that really was unique to each of those processes. So everything began to filter down, funnel down into a final mix the product and paint the vehicle kind of situation. So being able to take what honestly had been, gosh, that thing had to be at least 20, 20 years old, taking all of that stuff that really was great, but really whittling it down to here are the three critical things that you need to be able to do. If you do these things and follow this through this way, using the technology that's available to you, not every technology, just the technology that's available to you, you're going to get that thing done and you're going to get it done much more efficiently and more effectively. And that's what we found. Awesome. Hey, how did the training change because of the performance support? The training really began to mirror the performance support. So rather than have a classroom full of, uh, of learners whose eyes were glazing over as you tried to explain four things that didn't apply to them and hope they woke up for the fifth thing that actually did, we began to be able to add some technologies to our face-to-face -face training locations where each individual learner at that location could access our system using the methodology that they used back on the job. So rather than having to kind of wade through all of this other stuff, most of which didn't apply to you, you could get right into the system using what you were going to be able to use right back on the job. So we also spent more time in the face-to-face instructor-led training, showing them how to access the performance support resources that would be available to them later. So they began to see that, oh, wait, what I'm seeing here in the training environment is identical to what I'm going to see when I get back on the job. And all I need to do is click here if I'm not quite sure where I am and what I need to do next. 
So the training began to mirror the performance support, which influenced the training, which you got this nice cycle going now, which said one is influencing the other and not as these separate independent, one doesn't look like the other. In fact, they were one in the same thing. <laughs> That's what's supposed to happen, right? Sure. And then even for the instructors, this took a tremendous burden off of the instructors because now they could look and say, I can just focus on what the learners in front of me in this given class, I can focus on what they need. I don't have to try to teach everything, which kind of traditionally is what we'd always attempt to do. I can be very focused precisely on what these learners need and then let the other stuff go because it doesn't apply to them or let things go because I know they'll be able to pick it up because it's in the performance support solution. They can address that when and if that need ever arrives right back on the job. So as you were saying that, I was thinking about how has what happened with Color Coach and with that whole situation and that whole pilot, how has that changed or has that changed the way the rest of the training organization within Exalta works? It's really been fun here now in the last couple of years that uh, as I might meet with the technical instructors once or twice a year and now having them come back to me with conversations around 70-20-10 and performance support tools being available and how do we take smaller chunks of content and make that more readily available. It really has resulted in, in a pretty dramatic shift in the way our instructors are approaching not only this technology, not only this color formula part of their training, but really everything else, all of the product application pieces where before we might spend way too much time talking about product attributes that really when you're just trying to use the thing, just show me how it works. I don't necessarily need all the chemistry behind it. I need to know how it works. So it has streamlined much of what we would cover in our technical training events, which has afforded the opportunity for our instructors to spend more time in the actual application of what they do. They don't have to spend as much time sort of clicking through slide after slide after slide. They can be much more focused on here we are in the real world applying the product as it would appear in the learner's environment and really driving them to performance. And the instructor becomes more of the coach in this particular scenario. The learner isn't entirely dependent on an instructor to be the be-all, end-all, know-all of everything. Rather, that instructor really becomes a facilitator and a guide and a coach which helps with our relationship building. So when we when we want to claim responsibility for that learner in the long term, we've got the opportunity now in our experiences where that can happen. Have you noticed any difference on the business side? Do you have now you have a better story to tell the business as far as metrics go? It's not just smile sheets and and a skill uh, check. Certainly do because now this has afforded us some opportunities to explore technology. So the business is coming to us and saying, we saw how you created this little asset over here that a person can pull up and watch a short video on how to perform a particular function in our software. Well, if you can do it there, can't you do it over here too? So, oh yeah, sure, we can do it there too. Uh, so the business is beginning to pick up on that by us shifting our design methodology, we can now give example to how this could support other projects, 
not only externally, but now even internally, where our focus has been primarily facing out towards the customer. Now, even the business turning around and saying, could we apply the same sort of stuff inside? And the answer, of course, is yes. The other very pleasant outgrowth of this, that system, that formula retrieval system is about to undergo its own next generation. And the basic design principles that they're looking at to say, what does this next generation formula retrieval look like is being modeled after what we've done with Color Coach. How do we show folks just what they need, when they need it, and then guide them along as they grow and develop, as they take on new challenges? Everything is right there for them to walk them through the process, making it much less cumbersome and much more of a, oh, I don't know, two-click, 10-second maybe <laughs> uh, kind of a kind of a approach to to how we train and and then continue to support over time. What a thought, right? <laughs> so traditionally, I feel like this is just me. Training kind of gets the short end of the stick. We've been traditionally treated as this afterthought. We're going to design this system and we're going to build all these really cool features and it's going to be wonderful or we're going to put together this process. And then they get through it all and they're like, oh, yeah, we have to have training for that. Mm -hmm. And they throw it over the wall to training, and it's a little silo. Has this helped to make training more of a partner in the business rather than almost like I feel like they think of us as a necessary evil? <laughs> it's beginning to. I have to remind myself of uh, of patience and perseverance. It's beginning to. For most of my career, the experience was exactly as you described it. We would find out there was a product or a technology out in the marketplace and only then, when there was a problem, would they come and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we need training on this. And by then, obviously, we're already behind. We're already late. And then when we put together essentially a traditionally designed response to that, it still doesn't get us where we need to go. This methodology and the attention that it's beginning to get, we're actually now being approached much earlier in the game. And that's wonderful to hear. There's so much more you can do to influence how things are engineered, how they are designed. Sure, we have to be concerned with the ultimate dashboard of performance that the business will see. But if we start to build everything that can get to that dashboard, now you've got much more of a shot at success. It's it's when the dashboard was built, but nobody knows how to get there. <laughs> now, now you're yep. really stuck. So what this methodology is beginning to do for us is it is getting us some attention. It is getting us to the point where folks on our color side, folks on our product development side, are sitting down with us much earlier in the process to begin to ask, okay, what do we have to be thinking about here? And then being able to have a conversation and say, okay, well, if somebody's brand new to this and they need to know it to a certain depth, what's that going to look like? When somebody's actually trying to apply this in, in their workplace, what happens then? Do you think this thing might ever change at all? And of course, you get the, oh, yeah, it's going to change 100 times you know, before we even launch it. Sure, yeah. it's going to change. It's going to change. Okay, what would that look like for a person who, who knows what they're doing but now has to deal with the change? What what might that look like? And of course, problem arises. How would they be able to respond to problems? When you're part of the conversation from 
pretty much the beginning or, or certainly much earlier than we ever used to. Now you can begin to build the solution right along the way. You're working shoulder to shoulder with the, the subject matter experts, with the, uh, the designers, the engineers, the chemists, whatever that might be. You're with them much earlier in the game. You still need to be able to know to ask the right question. Care and feeding of subject matter experts is a uh, – <laughs> it's probably a podcast. It's probably 10 podcasts in and of itself. Um, so you have to be very conscious of that. But when you're keeping that focus always on the learner first and the performance first, most subject matter experts that I've, I've had to, the pleasure of working with do get to the point where they recognize, hey, wow, this is going to make my life a lot easier might drive them a little bit crazy early on because they feel like you're asking too many prying questions. You're digging deeper than they can remember. They know the stuff so well. But they do come around to the point where they can say, hey, wow, if I can get this stuff out right away, that's what's critical. That's going to address so many of these other issues that we know would ultimately come. So if I can address them right away, hey, this is great. So definitely making progress there and being part of it from the start really does help. I love that we're starting to move the industry away from training and toward performance. That's a big, huge mind shift. Well, exactly. When your business is reporting, whether it's a public company or a private one, when it's doing its its quarterly reporting or end-of-year reporting, nobody's talking about training. They're all talking about how did the business perform. Mm -hmm. If we can begin to see ourselves as part of that, as critical to that, as supporting the performance end of of the business, that's what will make us relevant and or keep us relevant. When our only job was to say, okay, you've been trained, we can check off the box here that says you're trained, and then we essentially wash our hands of of you, you're just not going to be around. So moving away from, from us as trainers and instead looking at ourselves as, hey, you know, we're the people who help you do your jobs better. Now you become much more indispensable to the organization and really a valued contributor to what makes a business successful. I think a big part of that is making their work visible, even to them. A lot of times they don't really understand what they do. Yeah, they they don't. They don't see their role in, in productivity. They don't see their roles in efficiencies. They don't see roles in how they can help cost management and and all these sorts of things. They just kind of lumber along doing what they do. This methodology and approach to design really can focus them on, hey, you know what? This is really critical. If you don't get this done well, do you see the Connell talk in terms of catastrophic effects of things? Fortunately, from my side, there's not a whole lot of things that are catastrophic in the way most people would hear that word. But there is stuff you can do that can shut down a manufacturing floor. You know, there's things you can do that can shut down supply chain and all those sorts of things. So while those things may not be life threatening, they certainly are threatening to the success of a business. So getting people into that position because they can focus on what's most critical and grasp the critical role they're playing. And that goes throughout the organization from every single hourly employee up through your your C-level folks them having that grasp and recognizing that what they do and how it impacts others, because it's been designed that way, that's organizationally changing, that making people aware of just the power of of how this can all work. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. What advice do you have for IDs who are starting to make this shift to performance? Oh, a few things, really. 
One is to be grateful for the traditional background that you have, the skills that you've developed, the KSAs, right? Your knowledge, your skills, your, your attitudes, abilities, all of that. It's good and it will serve you. But the most important thing is start to look beyond that which you're creating. Look at the learner first. It's really all about them. We support them. This mindset that says our job is to help people do their jobs better. We are really in the performance business. And if you can begin as a instructional designer looking to move this to another level, really think in terms of your output isn't the course you created. Your output isn't the brilliant knowledge assessment that you've constructed. It's not the e-learning module that has every bell and whistle in it. The output is that learner's performance. Mm -hmm. And if you can begin to connect yourself to that performance and begin to accept responsibility for the life cycle of that learner, then you'll start to take a very different view of how you go about designing content. We are responsible for training, certainly, but we're also responsible for transferring and sustaining that learning over time. So it's really embracing that full life cycle, the full ecosystem, the full whatever whatever fits in, in your particular corporate climate language and lingo. It's taking that responsibility and seeing it through to the end. And it's a great ride when you do it that way. You are part of the success of the business and relish in that and, and enjoy it and celebrate it. That's great advice. So thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Bill. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sue. Always a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to working with you again. Fully. Oh, yeah. Have a couple of chop shots. <laughs> I think, so that'll be great. Well, thank you. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.